1: coronavirus continues to spread around the world. Last week, fears mounted that the virus could trigger a more serious rupture in the financial markets. The S&P 500 suffered an 11% drop over five days, its worst weekly fall since October 2008. But now the Federal Reserve has cut interest rates by 50 basis points. Will this be enough to steady the course? Hello, this is Money Talks on Economist Radio, our weekly podcast on the world of business. I'm Rachna Shanbhog, the Europe economics correspondent. As the world climbs the epidemic curve, the number of cases of the new coronavirus continue to rise outside of China. More than 3,000 people have died from the illness, and there have been quarantines and factory closures. As the virus spreads outside of China, investors worldwide are jittery. Companies are also starting to think about measures that can help keep their business afloat in the event of workers taking sick days or having to work from home. What does all this mean for markets and for the global economy? In the studio is Patrick Fowles, The Economist, Business Affairs Editor. Welcome, Patrick. Hi. Henry Tricks, our Schumpeter columnist. Hi, Henry. Hi. And in New York is Alice Forward, our Wall Street correspondent. Hello, Alice. Hello. Alice, update us on what's been going on in markets in recent days.
2: Last week was one of the worst weeks for stocks since 2008. They were down nearly 15%, uh, but things looked a little better going into the beginning of this week on news of sort of coordinated economic stimulus from policymakers. But at the same time, you're seeing sort of the US 10-year go to all-time lows. It was at sort of 108 at the end of last week, and credit spreads widened uh, quite significantly. So sort of the Barclays High Yield Index, one of the sort of main indexes of credit spreads, went to sort of 5% um, above the 10-year for sort of high-yield corporates. So those are sort of the main indicators to watch. You want to watch the stock market, you want to watch the US 10-year, you want to watch credit spreads. And all of those were sort of signalling sort of widespread panic last week. Things were looking a little better going into the beginning of this week. Stocks rallied yesterday and things seem to be calming down on news of sort of coordinated stimulus. But, you know, you're still seeing interest rates very low and you're still seeing credit spreads quite wide.
1: And we've just had news that the Federal Reserve has cut interest rates, which is out of their usual cycle. Henry, you were the finance editor during the time of the global financial crisis in 2007-2009. Is this taking you back to those times?
3: Well, sure. It's been déjà vu all over again. Just looking at the screens over the course of the last week, you see you know, everything in red and then you get these extraordinary rallies like the one that we saw on Monday and clearly also talk about what government intervention... There is, and we're extremely sensitive to news at this point. So from a journalistic point of view, it feels like 2007 or 2008 all over again, but there are differences. At that stage, the financial crisis was essentially came from a shock within the global economy from excessive mortgage lending. And it was very much directed at the banks. The COVID-19 virus is, is essentially a shock that's like something that's come out of a clear blue sky. You know, it's, um, it wasn't anticipated. It's a health shock, not a financial health shock. So it feels similar, but it's, it's different. That said, The markets were also at incredibly high levels before we went into this shock. So there are vulnerabilities there too.
1: Patrick, do you think this 50 basis point cut by the Federal Reserve will soothe markets? Alice was describing the turmoil of last week. Is this what investors were looking for?
4: It is more or less. And I I think you'll see more rate cuts now from the other big central banks and Australia cut just before the Fed decision. The big question, I think, is the nature of the shock uh, happening to companies and households is is sort of hard to get your head around. It's basically that activity might cease for uh, you know a period of several weeks, perhaps longer, and then resume again if all goes well. And whether or not interest rate cuts are a tool that really helps households and companies that have that kind of weird cash crunch is the big question. And that obviously points towards whether more measures are needed, not interest rate cuts, but other ways of helping uh, companies and and people who are facing a shortage of cash.
1: Let's come back to talk about what sorts of measures might might work best um, later on. But before we do that, I wanted to hear from you what firms you thought were particularly exposed to the shock of coronavirus. Is it across the market generally, or there certain types of assets and businesses that have been most affected?
4: Yeah, I mean, my sense is the market so far has been actually quite discriminated. So there's some obvious things that get hit. Tourism, cross-border commerce, so the credit card companies, for example, have warned about profits being lower, and firms that rely on crowded places. You know, casinos would be a good example. But on top of that obvious stuff, I think there are two other categories where arguably the damage is worse. So there's a group of companies where there's a kind of double whammy which is their revenues collapse, but they're also quite indebted, um, which means that it may be difficult to roll over their debt. That's, in America, uh, some of the airlines, but also the oil companies, where it looks like there's a real credit crunch uh, happening for some of them. The other thing is, don't forget the supply chains. I mean, I was really struck over the weekend that India's two biggest domestic car companies both reported sales down 30% in February, Now, there's not really been a big virus impact so far in India, and the reason is they're not getting any parts from China, and they can't make enough cars. So I still think the supply chain shock is something that might not fully ripple through.
3: And slightly below the radar there are small and medium-sized enterprises, which are very much involved in the supply chain. We don't see them in the markets, but generally in certain uh, countries, especially in the US, data suggests that their level of indebtedness has risen quite a lot since 2008 so uh, so we could see stresses and strains there as well
1: alice
2: Uh, Yes, I mean, in addition to all of the sort of sectors that that Patrick and and Henry have mentioned, I think that as, you know, as people were describing this sort of the nature of this economic shock is that it may play out via a sort of cash crunch. And so you're also seeing the sort of banks get harder hit. Um, They were one of the sort of worst performing sectors last week. And interestingly, you know, the rebound yesterday didn't just sort of undo the losses of last week. So last week, you sort of saw everything down sort of about 15%. Um, You didn't see the banks rally yesterday, so the rally yesterday wasn't undoing last week's damage. It was still sort of discriminating against some of the companies that did badly last week. And it was more the sort of tech companies that rallied. And, you know, the banks in particular, um, there are lots of ways that this could play out in sort of a damaging fashion for them. One of the things is that you tend to see sort of flight to quality deposit gathering in times of stress. And this actually, given sort of post-crisis regulations, can be quite bad for banks because it pushes up their leverage ratios. They gather an additional asset and that could sort of trip them up on various regulatory measures. And at the same time, you know, if people are struggling to make payments on loans or mortgages, um, if the economy sort of has this sort of cash crunch, and then that will hurt the banks as well.
4: Alice, notwithstanding what you've just said, it's still the case that the banks are kind of safe, right? We don't have the kind of panic about their health that happened in the last financial crisis.
2: Yes, I don't think people necessarily think the banks are going to go bust. So there's not that sort of contagion of banks not wanting to lend to each other um, type dynamic that you had in 2008. But they may be one of the sectors that is sort of more relied upon to sort of keep the economy going. But there are some other sort of measures the Fed could take to sort of help liquidity keep flowing through the banking system to sort of prevent a sort of cash-induced slowdown.
1: Thanks, Alice. More in a moment.
0: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place.
1: Welcome back to Money Talks, where today we're asking what needs to happen to prevent the new coronavirus, COVID-19, from causing an economic downturn. Let's turn to the economic effects now. So we've talked about supply chain disruption, but another possibility as the virus starts to spread is that offices and workplaces will have to close. We at The Economist are thinking about our contingency plans. People will have to stay home to look after their kids if schools shut down. What does all this mean for the economy, Henry?
3: Well, um, we've talked about the companies that are vulnerable to this crisis. It's interesting to see how those companies that cater towards business continuity plans, so the, uh, the likes of Zoom that does video communications and Slack through which we can all message each other while we're working from home and that sort of thing, their stocks have done really well over the last week or so as a result of this um, increasing fear that workers will be unable to come to work. But in general for businesses, Uh, It's a very worrying factor. You just need to look at China to see the impact on its economy, on supply chains, et cetera, from the fact that workers who were quarantined or were kept at home because of, um, of fears of spreading the virus were unable to make it back from the New Year holiday to work. So it's a big worry for companies. And it's also very difficult for employees. So, you know, for example, if schools are closed, employees then have to go home in order to look after their children In many cases, one has to think, I mean, you know, there is always the risk and there are a lot of workers whose sort of sick leave, if you can call it that, is not covered. If you think of the gig economy, that's sort of, you know, a tenth up to a third Um, of the workforce in some G7 countries. So you have to really ask yourselves, how will the economy withstand the fact that many of these people will be unable to work because they have to go home to look after their kids or because they're sick?
1: And what would the rebound look like, Patrick? Is it as the epidemic comes to an end, we sort of return to where we were before? Or do you think the risk is that it's a very prolonged return to normal?
4: I think we should expect it to jump back reasonably quickly, I I would think. I mean, what's happening in China suggests a snapback from nothing happening to, you know, the bulk of factories operating, you know, at not full capacity, but sort of somewhere uh, not too far off that. So I don't, I mean, my sense, unless this virus, you know, turns into something far worse than any of the medical experts expect, you know, what we're talking about is, you know, a one to three month weird kind of cash crunch that hits the economy and then everything returns to normal towards the end of the year. And I, I think it, it's it's not the case that we'll have a problem that extends far beyond that unless the medical uh, uh, you know analysis dramatically changes. Alice, do you
1: think that's what investors are pricing in as well? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I think, you know,
4: last week you saw I think the market coming
2: to terms with the fact that there may be sort of widespread community transmission within the US. And then this week, people are sort of saying, OK, what will that mean for this short period of time? And and how can we guard against that? And that's why sort of the economic stimulus measures um, coming out are sort of so reassuring to the market. I do think in America, there's also an interesting sort of... um, precedent, sort of very small precedent for what might happen, which is, um, if you look at what happened with the government shutdown, you know, workers uh, who weren't being paid and didn't go to work um, for the government, you know, they didn't necessarily have those cash problems that we might fear because, you know, the credit card companies and mortgage lenders basically put a pause on their payments uh, for that time period. So, you know, there was a sort of a move in that small scale scenario of what we might see to sort of help Manage people's liabilities. Um, I would note, though, the lasting effect from that was that the bank still had to report that non-payment to um, the credit rating agencies, so that those people did see sort of damage to their credit scores, but not sort of any long-term
1: damage. It does seem like this is a really important function of um, credit markets to make sure that people can get through temporary disruptions to their income. And part of the reason why China bounced back so quickly is perhaps because the government acted to make sure that credit was functioning well. Patrick, how much do you think those policies that were used in China can be used in the West as well?
4: Well, there was a variety of things China did, including relaxing reserve ratios for banks and, and kind of quite complex um, tools in the money markets. I mean, I actually think the really big question is to what extent the financial industry gives forbearance voluntarily to businesses and households in trouble, much as Alice just mentioned with the, the example of the government shutdown. Um, and, and, you know, that's uh, probably not something in the US that the, the, the state will direct banks to do, but it would appear to be very much in their self-interest particularly if one believes in this this idea of a kind of three-month window where there's a huge cash crunch. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense to put a load of your customers totally out of business permanently if you expect their income uh, to pick up in, in a few months' time. So I think, um, uh, you know, China has different tools. The big question for the U.S. is can it create that kind of financial forbearance? For several months voluntarily with banks and financial firms operating in enlightened self-interest.
3: I think that for for governments in other countries as well, there is that balancing act in a sense between, you know, making sure that the health crisis doesn't get more severe, but at the same time making sure that the economy does not compound the health crisis for people and that, that, you know, people are able to return to jobs. And so what you're seeing in other countries is some reflections of what's been taking place in China. And, and you see this particularly in Asia. And, you know, Japan has taken some steps, for example, putting forward funds that will support parents who are basically having to stay at home to to look after their children but you know across southeast asia indonesia it's remarkable how many steps they've made they've tried to to shore up the financial markets they've sought efforts to shore up the banks. They've done public spending, they've done tax cuts. And so you see kind of replicas in a sense of what China has tried to do. That, I think, is good news.
4: Ratchan, what what do you think is going to happen in the eurozone? I mean, that's one of the hardest places just because there's not much room to cut rates.
1: That's right. I mean, we've seen a statement from the European Central Bank last night saying that they were standing ready to act if needed does seem like some officials don't yet think that we're at that point. It's not clear they've got a lot of space interest rates are already at minus 0.5%. It seems like... Countries that have been heavily affected, such as Italy, are starting to think about how they can employ targeted measures. And the European Commission has let Italy off the hook in terms of fiscal rules. So Italy's got the space to act. Interestingly, Germany as yet, even though its economy has been affected by the supply chain disruptions um, in China, Germany has yet to show sort of much willingness to act. But the, the real question is, as the virus spreads, how that reaction will change. Henry has the epidemic perhaps revealed some underlying weaknesses in the economic system that will now come to the fore.
3: If it is a pretty V-shaped uh, recovery, if you know within a month or two, as Patrick hopes, w- as all of us hope, I guess uh, um, things are more or less back to normal, then it's possible that the economic drag will, this will just be a, a, a bad memory in people's minds. But one has to remember that going into this, we were already facing some kind of uh, slowdown concerns in the global economy, that um, you know, manufacturing was had been weakening because of the trade war. So there, there was some vulnerabilities. And overlaying that was the fact that we had this remarkable bull market in everything, you know, that stock market had hit record highs markets continue their remarkable run it was hard to find anywhere where there was signs of severe risk and it's just worth considering whether that market may be under threat as a result of this if if things carry on longer than is expected.
1: Alice do you think there'll be a, a persistent effect on markets from this?
2: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, you You know, you have the classic sort of Warren Buffett aphorism, which is that, you know, you only find out who's swimming naked when the tide goes out. And you'll sort of recall that in 2008, when markets were crashing, it sort of revealed that Bernie Madoff was running a Ponzi scheme. You know, there are a lot of these sort of things that only come to light once um, you have a sort of significant stock market correction. And, you know, if it turns out that there is sort of some sort of hidden risk or, there's more leverage in the system than we sort of know, then um, those kinds of things could be revealed. It's hard to gauge that sort of now after just a sort of week. But um, I agree with what Henry said in that it could bring to the fore sort of other risks that are lurking in the economy or the financial system.
4: I think that's totally right. I mean, uh, after such a long and such a big bull market, it would be absolutely incredible if there weren't pockets of total insanity, fraud, madness going on in financial markets which may be exposed. The one thing I would say, however, is... What would really destabilise Western financial markets now, it is almost the opposite of what's happening. It's interest rate rises. It's inflation that would blow up the entire edifice of asset prices around the world and particularly in the West. And, you know, the strange thing right now is what's happening is the exact opposite with interest rates dropping even more.
1: Alice Fulwood, Henry Tricks, and Patrick Fowles, thank you very much. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks and you can read more about COVID-19's effect on the global economy in the upcoming issue of The Economist. Take out a subscription. Go to economist.com slash radio offer for 12 issues for $12 or £12. I'm Rachna Shanbhog. In London, this is The Economist.